Welcome back to another episode of Look Ma, No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and that little voice that you're hearing is Baby Violet, who is sitting on my lap as I record this very unbrand today. I am here with two people who are very special to me. I have Ita Kotler and Miriam Kotler, who are cousins by marriage, and they happen to also be my cousins by marriage. They are both also, as of late, certified birth doulas. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy to be here. So I had what many, an experience that many women, especially American women have had um, with my first daughter, Selma Baines Rose is now just over three years old. And I didn't really think very much about how I wanted her to be born into the world. People would ask me about my birth plan. And I just said, you know, women have been delivering babies for thousands of years. I don't see why this is going to be all that complicated. Um, And I also didn't really feel like I had time to think about it. I was working a really, um, you know, a very busy job at the time. My husband was running for office. And I just had every ounce of faith in myself that I was going to be able to push her out just like everyone pushes babies out. So I thought... Um, But of course, I was about a week past my due date, um, not dilated, um, nothing going on, no sign of Selma. And um, due to a sort of blip in her heart rate that they um, discovered, they decided to induce me. Um, And after, so if you don't know what that means, I was given Pitocin um, in order to go into labor. And um, after about 28 hours of labor, um, it was determined that we didn't seem to be delivering a baby anytime soon and that it would be safer for both Selma and I um, for me to have an emergency C-section, which I then had. Um, and that was, of course, followed by a really painful recovery. At the same time, I was taking care of my newborn. I was a new mother. I was 27 years old. And um, dealing with so many things at once um, that I found the experience to actually be extremely traumatizing. Uh, So when I got um, pregnant with Violet, I knew that I never wanted to experience anything like that again. That was pretty much my only desire. And I went right into the doctor's office and I kind of stuffed any desire that I might have had to have had a natural delivery, as one might call it, um, a vaginal birth. And I just said, I'm going to have a repeat C-section. I want it to be scheduled. I want to know exactly what's going to happen, what date we're going to have this baby. I don't ever want to try to have a baby again and have to go through that after 30 hours of labor. Um, The agony, the pain, the emotional trauma was not not for me. So here, baby Violet's like putting her fingers in my mouth. (laughs) Um, so, and Ita, I'm going to hand her to you after this little monologue I'm doing here. Uh, but, but anyway, I, I had this like weird voice in my head, um, telling me, you know, I needed to investigate this a little bit further and I was just too scared. And I ran into Miss Ita over here, who is, um, my husband's cousin by marriage and truly one of my dearest friends, just like Miriam. I'm so lucky to have these amazing cousins in my life. And I knew Ita's had four children and I knew she was going to look at me with those eyes, (laughs) which she did and saw right into my soul when I told her I was going to have this repeat C-section and said, we're going to talk about that a little more. And I was like, we're not talking about it. It's not up for discussion. Um, Ita had not yet gotten her doula certification, but has since gotten it. And I was one of her very grateful guinea pigs when I did did end up having baby Violet by VBAC. And um, from that moment began the process of Ita and Miriam really walking me through um, the idea of having a VBAC, a vaginal birth after C-section, which was something the whole time I wasn't even really sure if it was something I wanted to be doing. I went through really wanting to do it to thinking I was completely crazy. Why am I even putting myself through this? I was so scared that it wasn't going to work out, that I was going to end up on that operating table again, having you know, kind of been defeated by labor. <laughs> and um, and to my unbelievable amount of surprise through all of the advice that um, both Ita and Miriam gave me, I actually went into labor on my due date, which is something that in four generations of women in my family has never happened. Um, most women in my family deliver about two to three weeks late. And um, I had baby Violet um, on her due date after laboring at home with Ita overnight for like, what, tw- was it 12 hours or something? I don't remember. Maybe eight or nine. Maybe eight or nine. Okay. <laughs> it felt like 400. Okay. I mean, it's for the rest of my life. I'm going to say, you know, we labored for a year at home. It's your um, story. It's my story. Um, I just remember it taking me three or four hours to get the epidural when I got to the hospital, which were the longest hours of my life um, and was ultimately able to have a successful VBAC. And it was one of the most ex- incredible experiences of my life. 
the whole the whole experience opened my eyes so much to how limited our access to information about this process is as women. There was so much research that I had to do on my own, almost through alternative methods. I felt very on my own going through it. Um, I felt very scared when looking back. I don't really know if I should have been or not. Um, and I felt so grateful for the support that I had through Ita and Miriam, which I know so many people either opt not to have or just don't have the opportunity to have. So from the moment I knew I was going to start this podcast, I knew I was going to have both of you on here. You were like the first guest that I wanted to have. And, um, the reason for that is that I want more people to know about, the process of having a VBAC. I want more people to understand why birth is so important. Uh, it's the birth of a mother. It's not just the birth of a child and um, how we can reframe the way we look at birth. And uh, Miriam's <laughs> reaching for Violet if you're not watching right now. Miriam, you're welcome to hold Violet okay. if you'd like to. Yeah, she's she's a little fussy. It's nap time right now. Um, thank you. So how, um, you know, how, how we can reframe the way that we look at birth and the way that we choose to empower women through the way we look at birth. I think if you're, you know, going to have a repeat C-section, for example, I think that's an incredibly courageous choice. The reason why I actually decided to go through with having a VBAC was because I saw photos on Facebook that someone had shared with me of women having C-sections. And for the first time, it was like three days before she was born. For the first time, I said, oh my God, I can't believe how brave I was to have had that C-section. I was able to look at myself with so much admiration. And I don't know if I would have been able to have like a successful VBAC if I had still been looking at myself with judgment for that C-section that I had. And it was such a moment for me. You know, bringing a child into the world is the most incredible thing. Hi, Violet. <laughs> still making noise. <laughs> and uh, it's the most incredible thing we can do. And... And I'm so looking forward to hearing everything you all have to say about that process. So I'm going to start um, with either one of you who wants to answer this question. What was it? I mean, go one at a time, please. Um, what was it that made you choose to become a doula? And tell us more about what a doula is, because it's not a midwife. And I want to make sure that we clear that up. So first of all, before I start, I just want to say, Laura, that was very brave of you to share your story. Oh. And I think so much of what you said resonates with me as a doula and as a mother and as a woman about how birth is the birth of a mother, not just the birth of a baby. I think that we need to remember that. And I wanna repeat what you said, and I may be paraphrasing, about how courageous and brave it is for a woman to give birth, no matter how she delivers that baby. Whether it's a natural vaginal birth, whether it's a cesarean section, it's brave. It's brave. So Thank any you. choice is the right choice for a healthy baby to be born. So, so tell me now. what, <laughs> I wanna know, tell me all the things. Um, Okay, so let's go back. I grew up around birth. Uh, my mom was a doula, is a doula. She's been helping women in the birth process for over 45 years. She doesn't call herself a doula. She calls herself a labor support person, or some would call her a monatrice, which is similar to a doula, but with a wider scope of practice. So I grew up around birth. I grew up around pregnancy it was just I mean it was conversation at the dinner table we would hear my mom's calls she'd be constantly leaving on births and coming home from births and I got to see her um, passion and her excitement and her love and commitment to women and birthing women and that was probably definitely what started my whole thought process to be part of the birthing birth support community um, now, of course, I got married, and thank God, I've been very blessed. I have four of my own children, and I've had amazing birth experiences. My mom has been here with me for all four of my births as my mom, doula, Monatrice. And you connected me with her <laughs> for my labor with Violet, and She's she was amazing. amazing. She's amazing. I need to clone her a lot yeah. of times. Um, so she was with me for all my births, and I really had really wonderful birth experiences. Everyone was a little different. Every birth is different. Every birth is unique. I had an we epidural. Need to put that pacifier in her mouth. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is real time. This is real. No hands. In case you haven't uh, heard this before, the reason why I started this podcast was because my hands are always full. I used to write. I can't write anymore because this one's in my hands and the other, recording. my three-year-old. So now Next we're recording. Best. Now we can at least hear her, you know? Um, anyway, go ahead, Ita. So every one of my births is different without getting into detail. I had one epidural. I had three without epidural. Everyone varied in length and intensity and experience and technique. And they were all incredible. Um, so I, I've always kind of felt, even before I had my own children, that I wanted to 
be involved in the medical and um, medical care community. I wasn't sure if I wanted to become a nurse. Anyway, I got married, became a teacher, which I love. I've been teaching middle school for close to 20 years with some breaks when I had my kids. Um, But I've always been inclined towards birth and medicine. Um, Almost five years ago, we we lost our second son mm-hmm. mendel he would be 18 uh, um a few months after mendel passed away a friend of mine asked if i would come with her as a friend to her scheduled cesarean that she was having. It was her third child she was delivering by cesarean, and she asked me to come with her. And I was a little apprehensive. She asked me if I was comfortable. She made sure that I was okay with the whole idea of being in a hospital, in an OR, all kinds of medical-related things that she was worried may be triggers for me or emotional for me. Um, I definitely agreed to go with her. I thought it was the greatest honor to be asked. I was not a doula at that time. Um, And it was just a really beautiful experience to be around birth and around life giving and the birth of a mother and the birth of a child, like Laura said. That's one of the most miraculous things. I just want to stop for a second about you is that you survived most women's worst nightmare and you are able to walk with other women now to bring their children into the world. And when I asked you how you were doing that when I was in labor... You told me that you love being around life, that that is so healing for you. And I just think that is the most incredible thing I've ever heard. So, thank you. you know, knowing you is a true honor. Thank you for saying that and for, for reminding me of that conversation. Um, so, yeah, so I think that that was my first taste of, of, of being around real birth besides for my own. And it was really special. Um, about two years later, a friend of mine asked if I would be her, her doula, but as a friend, cause I wasn't a doula at the time. And I was with her for her labor and delivery of her baby. And it was also just an experience that was exhilarating and miraculous. And just, it's hard for me to even describe the feeling when I'm in a room watching a baby be born and helping a woman through the labor process. I'm going to take my baby out of Miriam's right. lap so she can tell us she has three children who she delivered, all of them without epidurals. I don't even know how to understand what I just said to y'all, um, but she's going to talk to us about it. And I am so thrilled to have you here, Miriam. Thank you so much. Let me take my Violet girl out of your lap. So I got married relatively young. I was 21 and we had our first baby when I was 22. A child. A child. <laughs> when I was 22, what? So, you know, as like all pregnant moms starting out, I got the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, and signed up for all the newsletters that tell you like what size fruit your baby's going to be at yep. each week. So, <laughs> yeah. So I did all that stuff and it was cute. And after a while, I kind of felt like, I was looking for something more. There was something probably deeper to, to all the stuff I was learning. So I went and I got like lots of different books, um, watched tons of videos and spoke to so many people and did really a lot of learning for myself with that first birth. Um, and then kind of prayed that things would go well for me. So I was blessed to have um, three really great deliveries with the midwives group here in Houston who deliver at Texas Children's Pavilion. Wonderful group. And for my first two, I kind of relied on them and I was like, okay, great. I have midwives. What else do I need? I'm all set. And then for my third birth, Ita's mom, who is amazing, happened to be in town for a few weeks. And I kept hoping I would go into labor while she was here. And then finally, the night before she was supposed to leave, I like felt something. And I texted Ita and I'm like, I think something's starting, I'm not really sure. And she woke up her mom and her mom came to me in the middle of the night. It was like 12 or 1 a.m. She just like comes in really calm and smiling and relaxed. And she looks at me and she's like, you're gonna have your baby soon. And at that moment, all like the 
fear and adrenaline and you know the knots in your stomach of like is this really it um they just disappeared just having her presence there really melted away any like worries I had and grounded me and I was like yeah I can do this let's do it so she really showed me what it felt like to have the difference of having that support versus not having it with my first two and yeah my first two births were smooth and great and just having a doula there makes it so much better and I think having her there and showing me this really made me want to support other women through this experience as well you know you hear so many women who have these terrible traumatic birth stories and for me it wasn't like that thank god and I kind of wanted to change that for people and you know having that experience firsthand of the impact of a doula taught me what it means and it's really an honor to be part of that process and journey for other families and supporting them. Well, what I think way. is so amazing about you too, Miriam, is that you're so <laughs> medically minded. You really have like this left brain mentality and I am the most yeah. right brain person there is. So as I was yeah. considering whether or not I was going to have a VBAC, I would get very concerned about, about, you know, what I was signing myself up for. And in would come Miriam with all the facts, <laughs> all the research, all the research, <laughs> um, you know, and one of the most fascinating pieces of research that you presented me with was when I was telling you, you know, I just think a repeat C-section is much safer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, in some cases that is true. But in my case, having been a healthy young woman who delivered a healthy baby the first time around. Um, you had some counter information for me on that. So I would love if you would share that because I don't think it's really um, discussed nearly yeah. as much as it should be. Yeah. So we can start with some stats. I like those. I don't know start if with people are interested in them, yes. but we can talk about that. And then Ita can fill in a little bit um, her input too. So I'm just going to start with the general C-section rate in America right now as of 2018 is 31.9%. So 31.9% of all women, you know, that's almost one in three, are having their babies by cesarean. And this trend has really gone up sharply since 1970, where it started about 5% or so. These rates are more than what's really medically necessary. So I think that there's two categories of why someone has a cesarean section. One is elective and one is medically necessary. Um, I think that the rate has been climbing more or less continuously in the last 15 years for sure. Um, So I think elective cesareans is a category on their own that can be discussed on its own. People choosing to have a cesarean for um, convenience. What's the danger of that? Well... Like any major surgery, there is significant risk involved. So with any surgery or medical intervention, you have to weigh the benefits and the risks and see if the benefits outweigh the risks. So um, the risk of cutting open an abdomen to remove a baby comes with significant risk to the mother and to the baby. And um, you have to really you have to really be comfortable sitting with that and seeing if, the benefits of your elective C-section outweigh the risks of an elective surgery. Now, are these risks things that we're talking about that are going on during the actual surgery, or are they things that could happen to the woman's body after she has the operation, if she's pregnant again? Both. (laughs) Both. Okay. Um, More during surgery and immediately post-surgery and during recovery. Recovery after C-section is significantly harder, as you mentioned from personal experience. Recovery after a C-section is much harder, physically more difficult and stressful on the mother and and risky that's something that I really want to talk about because I have to tell you when I was going into my first birth I thought about having I was never thinking about having an elective c-section but I certainly thought that if I were to have one it would be you know quite luxurious because I wouldn't have to push a baby out and um, you know I'd be medicated and it was kind of looked at as like this luxurious option as though it's easier. And then I ended up having the C-section, which was not by choice, and I was in absolute agony, and nobody talked about this at the time. Actually, that was three years ago. We're having these conversations much more frequently now. But no one is talking about what this does to women's bodies. If you need to have, I had, the C-section likely saved my life and that of my daughter. Did I need to be induced in the first place? I still don't believe that I did. So that's kind of like the gray area for me, is if I, 
it wasn't induced at 41 weeks. Would I have needed a C-section? Probably not. I was induced at 41 weeks for the safety of my baby. Did I think that was necessary? Really necessary? Probably not, but I wasn't gonna take that risk. So it's just a matter of what we're being told. Um, but I know that I knew absolutely nothing about what that recovery process was gonna be like and how taxing it was on my body. I don't think it's a normal experience to have to recover from major surgery while you're taking care of a newborn baby and becoming a mother either for the first time or all over again. Is it something some women have to experience? Absolutely. But do I wish it was looked at as something that, you know, could more often than not be avoided? Sure. And I think even I looked at it as like the easy way. It is absolutely not the easy way. <laughs> no, and that's like, not talked about no, enough. It's you know, not Nobody easy. talks about that, that you're having this major abdominal surgery while, you know, and then you have to just take care of this newborn while you're recovering and, you know, learning all these things. And nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about that. It's not discussed. Mm -hmm. And it's probably discussed a lot more now than it was. But um, I think we're absolutely still looking. I mean... It was weird that I decided to have a feedback. Mm -hmm. That was how it was looked at. Like, why are you opting to try to have a vaginal delivery after you've had one C-section? It's not safe. And you had a lot of counterpoints to that when I came to you and said, I'm worried about the safety of this. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. So just another stat thrown in. Um, the VBAC rate in the United States is about 12.4%. Wow. So that's a pretty low number. And there's a Healthy People 2020 goal of 18%. So maybe we'll be there by 2020, but looks like probably not. Right. Um, and I think it's a lot because people are not given the option. No, they're not. Most yeah. doctors are not willing to Most doctors are not willing to perform VBACs. And this is even though the, you know, the current ACOG, that's the American College of Gynecologists and Obstetricians, recommend that you know, VBAC should be an option for most women. And it's a good option and a safe option for most women. And most people are not given the choice. You know, it was once thought that once a woman had a C-section, she always had to have another C-section for the future. So when I came to you, Ita, and I told you that I wanted to have a repeat C-section, you were just very, the, the facts weren't laid out to me as to why I might want to try a VBAC. <laughs> but for you, it was, oh my gosh, it's the most incredible experience. I want to help you deliver a baby. I, you have to consider this. So why was this so important to you? I, I think maybe it probably started with just me wanting you to experience that, if possible. <laughs> and um, I, I want to I just say before I go on that I feel like it's important to say in this conversation, there are absolutely times when a C-section is indicated yeah. and when absolutely. a repeat C-section is indicated. So I'm not... I'm not um, no, nobody is here, being nobody complacent. Here is yeah. Right, no, so I just want to say that out loud, that I would not be um, talking to a friend or a family member or somebody I bump into about having a VBAC if there were other medical concerns going on. I would absolutely encourage them to learn about why they had a previous C-section. A lot of people don't know the full story. Yeah. They don't know why it was medically indicated, if it was. Um, and I think it's important for women to go back to their cesarean um, process that, learn about it, become as informed as possible, and that will help them understand whether they can physically and emotionally proceed with a trial of labor after cesarean and a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean. So I, th I think I just wanted to say that to be clear. Yeah. Um, but barring any previous medical conditions or current medical conditions that would make a vaginal delivery dangerous for mother or baby, barring any of that, if none of that exists, then I believe that in many cases, a VBAC is a very healthy, positive option for moms. Um, there, there's always a concern that your thoughts and what's going on in your mind really will affect the physical outcome. So I think that mothers need to be encouraged. They need to be informed. Like, we, we touched on this, but I think that that's... To me, that I think that's uh, one of the key factors here is um, knowledge and information and being informed from the top down, starting with the doctors, um, who, who may not um, always present all the information for someone to make an informed decision about whether a VBAC is for them. Um, but going back to your question about us, um, I'm trying to think back to my initial emotional reaction. I often have initial emotional reactions to things. Well, so. I understand it. I mean, now that I've gone through this, I understand it. Um, I think 
I know Miriam talked about this a lot. I mentioned it briefly. I think my mother has a lot to do with the emotion with which I approach birth yeah. and delivering babies. Yeah. Um, she's a very empowering person, Miriam mentioned. Yes. And I think that we need to empower women more. I feel like we're in, and I don't know if this is on topic right this minute, but once it's in my head, I'll just say it now. I feel like we're in a really incredible time in the world where women are empowered. I mean, we are the masters of our body. We are the masters of our life. And I think that that is all very empowering. Mm -hmm. And I think that one area we could work a little harder on is the empowerment of birth. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And I I don't think it'll be hard because we're already in that mindset of giving women the choices that are available to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that we just need to focus more on really opening up those choices to them and what it means like you know a lot of the way that we look at empowerment I I had somebody on my last episode she is a period coach she coaches women through their menstrual cycle to help them they live their to live their lives just sort of like you know in your the first three days of your cycle you're gonna be available next week about empowering women and also to be able to you know avoid getting pregnant without using birth control because mm-hmm. we were talking about the effects of birth control and just being aware of those effects before taking it you know just knowing what your real options are but up until very recently we've been told like if you don't want to get pregnant take birth control that's the only option it's not actually the only option there are ways to know and to understand your body if you choose not to for me birth control has a really adverse effect but it's been looked at as this symbol of empowerment for women. And to it be also, under it's made to look very attractive. Mm-hmm. It's made to I'm look very I'm in charge attractive. of my cycle. I'll know exactly what's going to happen when. Right. Um, so I think we we sometimes confuse Con- control. control for empowerment. And that's the C-section. Like, empowerment doesn't mean, you know, making one specific choice. It means knowing what your choices are and being educated and making making an educated decision from there and and really knowing what you're capable of. I feel like as a mother, I really felt honestly with my first, like I wasn't capable of giving birth naturally, like almost like I just wasn't going to be able to survive it. And that was definitely in my head. Like, yes, I believed that I believed that, you know, okay, I'm going to be able to figure this out, but I certainly didn't feel empowered. I certainly didn't have the information that I needed. I wasn't treated like wow, like a miraculous being who could make, who could produce a child. <laughs> that wasn't until I met you all that I really learned about like what the human body can do and what we're capable of. And I, I really just aspire to have that information be more readily available, which is why I don't know here. if this is appropriate for the <laughs> yeah, podcast, no. <laughs> but I, I just want to say that being in that room with you, and you can cut this if it's you inappropriate. About it's not inappropriate. Um, no, being in that room with you, I was witness to an empowered woman who truly believed that she could do it even though you may have (laughs) been in shock afterwards and asked a few times did I really do that I really did that look what I did I forgot that I said that you were very proud and it was like I'm getting chills right now and getting emotional because that image of women feeling empowered whether it's a VBAC or not is priceless to me it was incredible. And I, I also, you know, I'm careful to say this too, because I really did think I was going to be a multiple C-section gal. And I would have been equally proud of that for all the reasons that I explained. I mean, this was not something that I chose. And I think having a C-section is incredibly brave. And, um, okay. So Ita's going to hold my baby now while I tell you this. Um, <laughs> but, um, I was really prepared for that, but having had a VBAC, I mean, I never, I really understood this spiritual element of birth that motherhood is the most unbelievably beautiful yet painful, challenging experience you will ever go through. And that is exactly what birth is. It is beautiful, but it is the most pain that you will probably ever experience in your life. And it is the only thing that it feels like can prepare you for birth and for for having a kid. And um, in many, many ways, a C-section does that too. But having a C-section when you're convinced that it didn't have to go that way, that's almost the opposite of what birth is supposed to do. So when I had my first, the way that I had her, I was kind of left thinking like, I didn't do this the right, like this isn't right. This isn't what I wanted. I felt unempowered. I felt almost like bossed around. And I know so many women who can identify with that. And had I chosen to have a repeat C-section, I think that would have left me feeling at least a little bit more in control. Um, But I do think there's something just so beautiful about 
you know, knowing what you're capable of, if you were actually capable of it. Um, if you were not, then you're not. Um, and you're capable of something else that's absolutely incredible, which is being completely sedated and getting cut open so you can deliver a child into the world. Yeah, that so, takes you know, so much power. It takes a lot of power, you know, and we need to look at both choices that way. Um, so I am probably getting... Hold on one second. Um, I, I think it's important to get back to something, if it's okay with absolutely. you, Laura. Um, so we talked a lot about elective C-sections, um, and I think that... Um, let's get back to the other kind of C-sections, which is medically necessary C-sections. Um, we touched on it briefly. And so the question is, why have those been rising? Why have the rates of medically necessary C-sections been rising? Well, I know my answer to that question, but I want to hear your more, more so, expert. Let um, me take my baby from you so you can tell <laughs> us. So I, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I, I certainly have uh, have opinions and thoughts about this that I have witnessed firsthand and heard from people and, you know, in my general experience around birth. Um, most birth facilities, hospitals in particular, um, really like when laboring moms have continuous fetal monitoring. Um, that means that there is a monitor either placed externally on the abdomen or internally um, attached to the baby's scalp that lets the doctors and nurses around know how baby's doing, baby's heart rate, um, and just the general status of, of baby in womb, um, which is great, and it helps saves li save lives. The downside, the risk, is that with continuous fetal monitoring, there's much more cause for alarm that is acted on too quickly rather than being patient. Now, again, you run into this balance of not being complacent but not jumping to intervene when mom and baby are going to fix it themselves in five minutes. So I think that that it could be a, a huge factor in why the cesarean rate is where it is. Um, I think that medical facilities, doctors, OB-GYNs and midwives, they're, they're starting to um, to lean towards not necessarily having continuous fetal monitoring if mother and baby both look healthy and safe. And I think that that is a really great direction to be going in. Um, that's not the only reason for medically necessary C-sections. There are plenty of reasons that um, medically necessary C-sections are scheduled, and we should just quickly mention that. I mean, there's a, a variety of reasons why somebody would schedule a medically necessary C-section. Um, fetal distress, um, what else, Miriam? My mind is blinking. Yeah, problems with the placenta. Placental when it's, problems. Know, covering yes. the exit. True. Or it's grown into the uterus. There, there are a lot of different medical conditions that would warrant a necessary C-section. Yes. And thank God we have that option. And I think this goes with a general theme that the culture of birth here in America is highly medicalized. Thus, you know, this medical-led view kind of increased the fear aspect and... A lot of times, you know, these C-sections are not necessary, but thank God we have this option for when they really are medically necessary. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. there are plenty of times that cesareans are absolutely medically necessary, and thank God for them and mm -hmm. for the medical advancements that we are blessed to have. I mean, there's a variety of reasons why a medically necessary C-section would be scheduled um, versus an emergency C-section. And People would schedule cesareans for reasons like abnormal positioning of baby, a breech baby, um, if the baby can't be successfully and um, carefully, safely turned. Um, prolonged or stalled labor is a reason that often people will have, although that is during labor. Um, fetal distress, of course, if the baby is showing any kinds of fetal distress, that would be a reason to talk about cesarean. Um, baby's heart rate is not looking safe. Obviously, if mother's health, for whatever reason, is failing. Um, cord issues, um, preeclampsia, these are often... These are real reasons. Re these are real medical reasons for C-sections to be the absolutely correct thing to do. Um, often, people carrying multiples, it is the safest way to deliver through cesarean, although we can deliver multiples in a safe fashion. Why is fashion. that? Why is it safer? Well, it actually, that's a conversation probably on its own. It, a lot of it depends on position of the babies. Um, so just like super fast, an example is a woman carrying twins. If first baby, if baby A is head down, many doctors are very comfortable ha with her having a vaginal delivery. Um, it may make them more nervous and uncomfortable 
if baby A is, is breech, meaning butt down, or other positions. So let's talk about what birth leads into, which is motherhood and having having children. Maybe maybe you're not your first. Maybe you're just becoming a mother again. Another struggle that I've had is the intense focus that is given to the birthing process and then the complete lack of focus that's given to the postpartum experience. I know pretty much almost every mother listening knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, unless you've had an experience where you were in a you know, specialized hospital or you have specialized care, there is this lack of care given to women who are perhaps in the most fragile state that a mother could be in. And, and what is it that you do or what is it that you, I hate to use the word recommend, but what, what is your perspective on that? And like, how can women, you know, Miriam, you've talked a lot about self-care and taking care of new moms and understanding that like a mother of six weeks isn't a veteran mother. Like she still needs you to bring her yeah. food and take care of her. And we kind of look at it as like, you know, you need a few hospital visits and then you're off on your own. Yeah. Why? What kind of perspective can you let lend us about that? So time? I want to say this really resonates with me because I did all this preparation for birth. And after I had my baby, I had no idea what just hit me and what I was supposed to do with this baby. You know, I did like do some learning about breastfeeding, but that really wasn't enough to prepare me as to what to expect. So I think nowadays that we don't have this, most people don't have this village of support and family around them a lot of times or great community and friends. They are kind of on their own. And what some things that we can do to support this mom, if you know a mom just had a new baby, I would say just show up be there for her and not in an empty way like text her and be like hey if you need anything just you know text because me back no one's gonna respond to because that. new mothers don't even know baby. what they need at yeah. that point no they're so sleep deprived and busy that they forget to take care of themselves and everyone gives so much attention to the baby that some people forget about the mother well i have this vivid <laughs> memory of having had selma about a week like i was you know a week postpartum and i just i was still recovering from a c-section mm -hmm. I was very like crazed about not losing the life I had before Selma. Mm -hmm. I was a young mother and I felt like really protective over my relationship with my husband. Like I was very afraid of like losing our lives together. And mm -hmm. for some, you know, crazy reason, and I really, I respect myself for doing this because I know my intention at the time. I scheduled like this date night, like a week after my daughter was born for yeah. us to go to the movies. And I went out like without my like band that you wear after you have a C-section. Mm -hmm. And my meds like wore off and I'm standing in line to get um, candy or something. And all of a sudden I'm just like in agony. And I realize I'm at the back of the line and no one is letting me cut them because I'm not pregnant anymore. Right. Nobody knows that I'm in pain. And I'm like, this is when I need you. This is when I need to cut the line. Yeah. Not before. Like yeah. I was happy when I was pregnant. And no one got it. You know, mm -hmm. no one got it. And uh, the fact that I was at a movie a week postpartum wasn't seen as abnormal to really anybody in my life. So, um, you know, it just kind of goes to show you that we're, we, we give like a lot of rever reverence to pregnancy, mm -hmm. to new babies, but new mothers. Yeah. And, we, have a long way and, to go. and we live in such a fast moving time that, you know, moms are just expected to bounce back. Yeah. Bounce back. Right? <laughs> like I'm that's like, normal. What, what am I bouncing on? What, what are you talking about? Um, Do I have and, a bouncy ball? And I think new mothers need to know that it's okay to slow down. You know, you don't have to be doing all the same things you've been doing before you had this baby. Um, and I think just reminding the new mother is that take time for yourself. Take care of yourself too, because that's really, really important. Yeah. And I think you can tell us very well how you can do that. I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wasn't expecting that. Oh, my goodness. I know. I'm not supposed to be asking Oh, my gosh. Here. How to take care of yourself after you have a baby. Um, whatever you can afford as far as health goes, just double that. Go into debt and get all the help that you can possibly get. You will figure it out. Um, I felt like... Um, asking for help was the most important thing I could do. Like letting go of my shame around that, mm -hmm. expressing to everyone around me, listen, I, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses. Sleep deprivation and I, you know, there's like a psychotic chemical reaction that happens yeah. there. Like most, many women can relate to that. Um, and just making sure everybody around me understood like my fragility. Um, the differences between my first and second 
postpartum experiences. My first, I expected to, quote, bounce back mm-hmm. right away. Um, I started working again very quickly. My second time around, I realized, like, I wasn't going back anywhere. I was only going forward. Um, I was going to be a new version of myself, whether I liked that or not. And a lot of the things that were really important to me before I had baby number one and baby number two weren't important to me anymore. And I had to rebuild my expectations okay. around that. Um, this podcast, for example, was an idea I had when I was, like, three days postpartum <laughs> with Violet. First time around, I would have started it on day four. This time around, I understood, like, this is a great idea. You know, let's work on this with some people and let's try to build this out, but let's really take our time because this time is about just being with baby Violet and taking mm-hmm. care of myself. Yeah. Um, going slowly, Uber Eats, getting people to bring stuff to your house. Yeah. Um, really being honest about, hey, you know what? I'm taking care of a baby and that's all I can do right now and, and feeling, you know, no shame about that. Yeah, that's Beautiful way point. more than enough. Yeah, and, and surrounding that. yourself with people like you guys who can reinforce. I mean, Miriam, you saw me like a week after and I was like doing something, I don't know, cooking. I don't remember what I was doing. You were like, what are you doing? I think you came to the <laughs> chili cook-off. You oh, came to I the came chili to the cook-off. kosher chili cook-off with my oh, baby, gosh. like my one-week-old baby, and you're like, why are you here? <laughs> I get a little cabin fever. It's good for me to get out, but there's yeah. this like vulnerability to being out with a new baby. Yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. I think especially new moms don't expect that to like hit you, and yeah. you're just like, whoa, I want to go back in my house. Mm -hmm. So um, I was more conscious of that. And and I also understood that this was a point, like a chapter in my life, but it wasn't forever. Exactly. And the first time it happened to me, I thought, oh my God, like, what's going on? I felt trapped. Mm -hmm. I was terrified. Um, So, you know, it was easier for me to let go and understand, you know, I'm just going to be here because this is not permanent. Um, And I wish I could have known that the first time around, but I guess you live and you learn, right? And I think what you're doing with this podcast would have been what I would say is the most helpful thing for new moms. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Um, Remove the shame you mentioned, remove the, you know, the the fear of vulnerability. Like we would say to our little ones, use your words. You have to be ready to use your words. Like Laura, you really beautifully put that, how be ready to say, I need this. I can't do that right now. I need help with this. I need to cut the line. And that's what motherhood is. You're going to have to stand up for your kid on the playground against (laughs) some mother who you've never met before. It's getting really uncomfortable. It's parent-teacher conferences. It's telling your friend's kid not to hit your kid, even though you love your friends. The most uncomfortable arena that you could possibly be in. So a really great practice ground is standing up for yourself and saying, hey, this is all I can do right now. And being honest with yourself and um, helping your partners and your friends understand what you need is, I think, very important. This is something that I, I learned probably along my journey as friends to people where I wanted to help people in a certain way and I wanted to cook them dinners. And for many people, that's really helpful. And for a lot of people, that's not what they need. But that's what I wanted to give. So I think we need to reframe how we give to people also. But it would be helpful if new moms would really be um, verbal with what they need. For example, I mean, look at new moms. One new mom would love hot meals for a week. And another one will say, no, my husband can pick up food on the way home, but I would really love a break for my three-year-old. Can you take him for a play date? Or I would really love to shower for 10 minutes without worrying that the baby's crying. I think we need to start looking at what every individual mom's needs are. They're different. One mom wants to be at home and doesn't want to worry about getting dressed. And another mom wants to go out to the movies a week after. And And none of that should be judged. None of that can be judged. So continuing to talk about mom's health after baby. I was recently talking to a friend who recently had a baby. I was not her doula. I'm her friend. And she mentioned to me that she had gone to see her doctor. And this was two weeks postpartum. And I said, oh, is everything okay? And she said, yeah, everything's great. My doctor started doing two-week postpartum visits in addition to the four-week postpartum visit. And she just sounded so happy that she had gone to see her doctor and the doctor told her that everything's going well. And I was thinking about how great that is. And I think that that's amazing of this doctor. Kudos to her. Um, And I think that we need, medical professionals need to be taking a look in and seeing how new moms are doing also. And I'm not just talking about um, looking for signs of and preventing PPD, postpartum depression. I think that a lot of times if you see that mom is not depressed, she's great. And we're forgetting that there's this whole gamut of feelings and stresses between completely fabulous and postpartum depression that we also need to focus on. Well, yeah, um, I'm so glad you brought that up and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have experienced PPD with both of my kids. So I've now come to the conclusion that this is a chemical reaction that occurs after I have a baby. Absolutely. Yeah. I had two completely different birth experiences. I was very unhappy almost immediately with my first because of the circumstances 
um, not because of my precious child who I love more than anything in the world. And um, with the second, I was like on a bliss cloud having had a VBAC, being at home. And after three months, I just started to get depressed and I didn't I was shocked by that but what was amazing was I kept going to my doctor and I kept filling out these evaluations and they caught it like right away that's amazing and it was so different than the first time around only three years ago this didn't exist at my same doctor's office and it was a year in it was a year postpartum that I got the help that I needed and you talk about that gray area both times it was the same experience in that I didn't think I had it because I didn't fit the description that I thought postpartum depression was the and they were totally different from each other too so when I got it the second time I thought I don't really have depression because this doesn't feel anything like what it felt like with Selma but it was it was just in a different in a different you know shade of gray if you will and we don't know enough about that at all I mean I talk to other women who are like wow, you had PPD. I never experienced that. And then they start telling me about their experiences. And I'm like, God, it sounds like you had it. Like, right. I'm going back to what I said. I we need to talk yeah. more. Yeah. We talk we so talk much, more. but I feel yeah. like we need to talk about the more important things. Yeah. I mean, that gray area you were talking about, about, you know, the symptoms, is it or is it not PPD? Sometimes it is, but you don't realize it. There's also this area, this whole um, expanse of solutions for that. There is medication. There's therapy. And there's also just, like you said, figure out what you can spend on help around the house and double that. And I think that people have to know which doors are open to them. And I think that there's a vulnerability and we have to erase that. Yeah, we have to erase that. I don't know how yet, but I think we can start by being, by talking about it, by, by just sharing our own experiences. And, you know, sometimes you hear somebody share their experience and you look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, you're so put together. Like your shirt matches your shoes and (laughs) and you're telling me that you're having a hard time recovering. Like, and it's, it's so validating for us to hear from somebody like that sometimes. So I think we need to share our stories. Well, that was something else that actually was hard, was difficult for me was that, um, the second time around, I was kind of able to get my act together, quote unquote, more quickly. I, I had more energy immediately. And so I think on the surface, I looked like I was thriving more than I felt like I really was. And I even had very close friends say to me, like, I wouldn't worry too much about what happened to you last time happening to you again, because you're doing so much better. I mean, I was a very clear mess after my first was born. It was apparent on the outside. And that's not always the case. And I I did have more help with the second, which made a world of difference. It made my life easier. It did make me happier in a lot of ways. But like the, the chemical reactions and the hormones that occur in your body have nothing to do with how much Correct. help you have. Correct. And yeah. we're not having that conversation. It's always about like essential oils and taking care of yourself. And like, I think all those things are great. Like, give me all the essential oils, please. But sometimes you need. More I mean, help. we're two for two yeah. now. Sometimes you need more help. Yeah. I mean, my psychologist now says, OK, you want to have more kids. Now we know this about you. So I'm writing all this down. And next time you tell and me that you empowering. don't. Need, yeah, it's empowering. It's owning it. it. This is who I am. This is what it happens for it me. You. It doesn't control me. Exactly. And I, I, I want more women to feel that, to have that experience, because you don't need to be really depressed after you have yeah. a kid. Mm-hmm. And I also also think women need to know that some days are going to be great and some days are not. And it's not a linear thing that continues climbing or continues dropping. I mean, you know, the joke that we all say with our friends is like, don't do that first load of laundry after you have your baby. Because once you put in that first load, everybody's going to (laughs) think that you're doing laundry now and making dinner. But maybe today you could do laundry and tomorrow you can't. And I think we need to let ourselves have the space for that, too. Yeah, absolutely. And really letting ourselves know ourselves and be honest with what what our day is. Absolutely. So you all recently took a course uh, called Spinning Babies, which I originally thought was about <laughs> literally spinning babies. If a baby is breech, moving them into the delivery position um, to avoid C-section. But you both told me that that's actually not the whole thing. So tell me about spinning babies and how it can help change everyone's perspective on the way we look at delivery. Well, let's just say I want to tell you that your image of spinning babies is a lot tamer than what my husband's image was when what I kept telling him spinning much? babies. It's it's anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it it caused a few good laughs. Amazing. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> spinning babies. So Miriam and I really fell in love with the whole Spinning Babies course and technique and outlook and approach. And it was really fascinating and useful. Um, I'll tell you a little bit and Miriam can tell you her perspective of Mm -hmm. it. Um, 
So Spinning Babies has somewhat of a novel approach to labor and delivery and birth. Um, and their general approach is using what they call their three techniques, or I'm probably using the wrong word, but they use balance, gravity, and motion to help create space in the pelvis for baby. So you see, like in labor um, and delivery, you talk about three Ps of labor and delivery. You talk about the passageway through which the baby will be born. You talk about the passenger, who's the baby. And you talk about the powers, which are generally considered the contractions or the power your body has to help you deliver your baby. So a lot of times, um, especially in um, hospitals and in other birth facilities, there's a lot of emphasis put on the passageway and the power, meaning a lot of questions will be asked like, how strong are her contractions? How dilated are you? And we kind of forget to focus enough on the passenger, the baby themselves, and where they are. So spinning babies um, presents a new question, which I think adds this whole new world of helping women with their labor and delivery, which is where's the baby now? What position is the baby in now? Both which direction is it facing? Where is it in the pelvis? Where is it in relation to the pelvis? And this way, um, we can focus on helping make room for the baby, helping rotate the baby to be in a more favorable position favorable position for birth and delivery. And um, I think that this really opened my eyes to asking new questions so that you can get new solutions during labor and delivery. So how can women sort of use this information? You know, we can all recall going to the doctor and, you know, you're, you're two centimeters dilated or three and that kind of being the guide for when the baby's going to come out. And I remember my doctor saying, you know, no matter how dilated you are or not, that really has nothing to do with when this baby's coming. And mm. your doctor's correct. Yeah. Yes. Ah, it's I such like a misconception. It's such a misconception. And instead focusing on, you know, has the baby dropped? That's a question people ask. That's sort of what you're talking that, about. Yes, that sort of is where, you know, um, this approach believes that far more important than than dilation is position and, and flexion of the baby's neck, but position of the baby, where they are. I mean, there are stories where people have gotten taken back for C-sections because they were fully dilated, but baby was not coming down. And so often there could be solutions for that, that the spinning baby's techniques could help with. Often that was a true need for a cesarean. Um, but I think that knowing all of our options and techniques and um, a lot of the spinning baby's techniques can be used during pregnancy to help balance the pelvis throughout your pregnancy and leading up to the birth and preparing for the birth. And then, of course, during labor, there's um, a few main techniques that are used to help facilitate the space where your pelvis and where your baby needs it. So cool. Yeah, it's, it's balance before force. Um, you know, so much of the common question is, how far along is she, but Spinning Babies is asking a new question, where is baby in the pelvis? And they say that baby's job is to rotate and mom's job is to dilate. And by rotate, we don't mean, you know, feet down versus head down. We mean head down, but we're, which direction is it facing or how can we make this smoother for the mother by having the baby in a good position? So I have another question for you. When I was deciding whether or not I was going to have go for the VBAC, I uh, listened to a lot of podcasts, some of them you sent to me. Mm-hmm. And those podcasts really helped me make up my mind, um, really weigh the risk factors and really understand what I was going into. If someone's listening to this and they're considering whether or not to have a VBAC or a repeat C-section, if that is an option for them, um, if, if, they don't have, so if they don't have to have a repeat C-section for medical reasons... You know, what is that one thing that you would really want them to know? I want you to be confident. And how do you get that? You know, I think you need to educate yourself. There are a lot of good podcasts you can listen to, and we can list them out later maybe on your page, Um, some good suggestions. And Isa? Yeah, similar to Miriam, um, talk to your medical team. Ultimately, the people who are going to be with you for your attempted VBAC are the people who are going to make you feel safe. So if they're confident in you, you'll be confident in yourself. And I think that that would be really most of the recipe that would be important to have a successful VBAC. Knowledge, feeling safe, wanting it, 
and knowing that it is healthy and safe for your body and for your baby. Okay, so we have to talk about spouses because that is one of the people <laughs> who, for many of us, will be in the room. And as some of you know, maybe not so well, but Miriam and Anita definitely know, my beloved husband is absolutely petrified every single time I have a child. So we knew this was going to happen, and we knew that he was a bit fearful, especially considering I was doing something unconventional and having a VBAC. And you dealt with that very well. You really had him like stand by my head. You had him participate in really wonderful ways but I was grateful the whole time that even though he I mean he must have said to me a hundred times like I I support you but I don't understand you like if it was me I would be you know drinking a pina colada going under the knife and letting them give me another c-section I don't even understand I don't understand why we're doing this but I support you so you know let's say my spouse is perhaps a little bit less supportive or so scared that it really is affecting my decision-making process um what what do we do in that situation so Okay, that's a good question. I'm not sure I have the right answer, but here are my thoughts. Um, I think that approaching um, a spouse who's scared of a VBAC or a partner who's scared of a VBAC, um, I think that that approach has to be as tailored and as personal as the care we take of a mom after she has a baby. Everybody's different. It has to be as tailored as the education we give children. Every child is different in the way they learn. And a lot of people um, feel comforted by information and a lot of people are more fearful the more information they read, the more they see, the more they know. So I think that you have to really look at the person. Um, I think a mom needs to know her husband and know what it is that's going to make them feel calm. And for some people, that's going to be being more involved. And for some people, that's going to be being less involved. Um, but in general, I think that um, basic knowledge of the safe process is usually comforting so that's excellent advice no matter what you're dealing with in life Correct. know who you are yeah, speaking to is so good at that. <laughs> I actually take a lot of um the concepts in birth and delivery and babies being born and I really in my head I very often apply it to other areas of my life and I I really see how connected everything is I was actually just thinking about this a couple mornings ago when my six-year-old who's been having some challenging days in school and my husband and I were talking about how we have to change the morning so that the first hour will affect the rest of his day and I was like you know that's kind of like birth where those first that first entry that first introduction to the world should be positive and beautiful and loving and not kicking and screaming okay so so tell me so, some of the ideas please because I have children too so oh, I oh to no know we're still we're, doing. we're still working through the ideas <laughs> but when we really focused every ounce of our attention for the last two mornings on making his morning smooth and happy I, I I have to hear from his teachers today but I think it was a smoother day but all of that was to say that a lot of um a lot of the philosophy of labor and birth I think is our life lessons they really are mm-hmm yeah. All right. So another concept of spinning babies is balance before force. And I find it really funny for me because, no, scratch that. <laughs> another concept of spinning babies is balance before force. And for me, that's very real because growing up, both my parents are engineers from Russia. And my dad always taught us that for if it fits properly and everything is you know perfect, then you don't need force. And I kind of related that to spinning babies who taught us that you know if baby's in a good position and everything is smooth the way it should be, things will be fit more comfortably and you won't need to use that force. I like it. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Engineer. No, that was good. That was I loved good. It. I love it. Was there anything you wanted to say? Um, I, I had one more thought on taking care of moms postpartum. And I think that I'm also drawing a relationship to, um, to, I guess, to recovering from anything, whether it's birth or grief or loss. Like I said, I think birth is related to almost every area of our life. And I think we need to be careful what we say to new moms. And I know it's not always possible to be careful. And I don't like when we put 100% emphasis on people's reactions to the words we say, because I think everybody needs to be patient with each other, whether we're on the listening or the speaking end of comments. But um, I think comments like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're already out of the house without the baby, mm -hmm. could potentially make someone feel not great. Could. Because what that what they hear is, what a neglectful mother you are. You're out by yourself. 
And I think that we need to be, um, oh, man, how many and that was just one example that popped in my head. But I think that sometimes what, when we're trying to say something to make somebody feel great, we really need to think about what that sounds like to them. Absolutely. So Especially true. in their most vulnerable time. Correct. Especially in their most vulnerable time. There's something important that I want to say, and that is that having been, um, obviously I've been, I've delivered my own four children and I've been in the delivery room for two of my friends' C-sections and a variety of vaginal deliveries. And I want to say that however a baby enters this world is miraculous. There's nothing less miraculous about a C-section delivery than a vaginal delivery. Babies being born is miraculous no matter how they get here. And the bottom line is whatever is safest for mother and baby is the route that should be taken. Whatever mother and feels safest with and in the best interest of the mother's physical and psychological health and safety. And I think that we can't forget that. We have birth visions and we have birth visions sometimes for our friends and our sisters. But I think the bottom line is birth is miraculous. Well, I'm so glad you said that because while having a VMAC was one of the most spiritually incredible experiences of my life, um, I had so much shame about having had that C-section that I had with Selma and I would never want anybody else to feel that and I didn't deserve to feel that way and at the end of the day the most important thing is that we're both here we're both alive we're both okay and um, this isn't about making the right choice or the wrong choice this is about just understanding what the choices are um, but the, the shame that I felt after that delivery and feeling like things were out of my hands, I would wish upon no one. Um, it certainly wasn't what ultimately drove me towards having a VBAC. I think in the end, when I had that VBAC, it was because I really just wanted to have that experience. And in that final hour, I think I'd finally let go of like that last ounce of shame that I had that I couldn't have it the first time. And um, I know going forward that like having another VBAC isn't a guarantee, um, but... I, I have honor and respect for whatever really ends up happening because I go into it with understanding with the information that I think all women deserve to have when they're going through birth. All women deserve to understand what birth is, what's going to happen to your body. This is information that we are not given at the doctor a lot of times. Um, and I wish I'd had it the first time because I could have avoided just so much emotional pain. And I'm so grateful that that's the kind of information that you're offering. And I think that that's why doulas are so beneficial to women. Um, I think that part of a doula's job is to be supportive of any and every decision that mom makes. And I think that that is our, our calling and that is why we're here, um, to be non-judgmental and to be supportive of her birth vision and what she feels is right for her. Amen. Yes. And it's probably important to mention that the word doula comes from, it has a Greek origin. Doula in Greek means a woman's servant. Ooh, I like that. And it is, you know, for thousands of years, women have been assisting and serving women in labor and delivery. And I think that that's a sacred and special and beautiful and holy task that is part of a woman's nature is to facilitate birth and life. So Miriam, tell us what the difference is between a midwife and a doula, because I actually didn't know they were any different until very recently. Yeah, that's a great question. Most people, you know, kind of lump those two together and think that doulas are delivering babies. We don't deliver babies. Um, we don't do anything that has to do with the medical aspect of childbirth. So we're not, you know, monitoring mom or doing any of her medical medical care. We're solely there to support mom emotionally, um, informationally, and with our comfort touch and our skill in that way. So, you know, we're not, we're not there to provide the medical care. And that's what really distinguishes us from, you know, nurses or midwives is that we're just there to support the mom and her wishes and empower her to, to do what she feels. And to provide a lot of non-medical pain management techniques mm -hmm. that really help facilitate an easier and faster and um, more positive birth. Well, when you think about what a big deal birth is, like a human is literally coming out of your body, <laughs> um, it's kind of amazing that a doula isn't a commonly understood term or something that we all have the opportunity to have access to because most of us, we're pregnant for nine months, we go to our checkups, and then we show up in the hospital when we're in labor, and there's really nothing other than that, which if you think about it, is absolutely insane. Yeah. 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 We're embarking <laughs> upon like the greatest 
endeavor of and our lives. So a doula is that familiar face who you haven't, you know, just seen for five minutes every once a month, but it's that person who has a relationship with you and has hopefully, um, you know, you've met with her a few times and are comfortable with, with her personality. And, and it's not just some random stranger showing up, you know, to support you. She'll come to your house if you want her to um, and join you when you need her. Well, especially around breastfeeding, I, my first time around had, um, you know, I didn't have a lactation consultant and I was told that if I wanted to meet with one, I would have to go to the hospital or go to a center to talk to them. (laughs) And I was like four days postpartum having just had a C-section. So I felt like I wasn't getting the information that I needed to breastfeed in the right way. And after a month, I just gave up and I, I couldn't rational, I couldn't reconcile that I didn't have access to the information that I felt like I needed. Um, and the second time around, I still didn't feel that way because the hospital still told me you have to come here if you want to talk to a lactation consultant. But I had you guys. And so I was able to call you and get this advice that I needed. And honestly, I think I would have stopped breastfeeding so many times. Um, I breastfed for four months. Um, good enough for me. <laughs> One day, Amazing. whatever works for you, for you. Um, <laughs> whatever works for you. But like, I don't think I would have made it that long at all if I hadn't had someone that I could just call and talk about what I was going through with and, you know, hey, I have this problem or that problem. And um, I, I don't blame myself that first time around for just saying I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I can't do this and there's no way I'm getting to the hospital. So I'm done. Bye. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> no, just I remembered something interesting, something that fascinated me in our doula course when our instructor told it to us about um, just the concept of a doula. She said that they, there were studies done um, where laboring women would have a, a female in the room, a person in the room, sometimes visible to her sitting in a chair, sometimes behind a curtain so that she knew they were there but didn't see them. And just having a physical person in the room, a calm presence, doing nothing at all, um, there were more positive birth outcomes for those women with somebody in the room. Now imagine if that person was somebody you were already comfortable with and who could offer techniques and advice on a variety of things that will help your labor. Imagine how much more positive that birth outcome could be. So if simply having a warm, loving, smiling person in the room doing nothing affects positive birth outcomes, imagine what a trained doula can do for a birth. Amazing. That surprises me not. Um, If anyone wants to get in touch with you or learn more about um, having a birth doula, how do they do that, Ida and Miriam? Tell (laughs) us how to reach you. Well, um, both of us are pretty close to completing our doula certification. So um, I, Miriam will tell you how to get in touch with her. <laughs> I am still working on setting up a Facebook page and hopefully a website. But for now, I would love for anybody who wanted to talk to me to get in touch with me via email, itacotler at gmail.com. And that's E-T-A and then Kotler, C-O-T-L-A-R at gmail.com. All right, now Miriam, your turn. So yes, I'm also in the process of you know, starting up and not quite there of having a website, but I do have a Facebook page. Um, it's just Miriam Kotler Dula. Um, and it, I, I try to post some empowering messages to women and also some helpful information. So check that out. I love following <laughs> you on Facebook. It's just such a good reminder every day to be Jen Jess myself. Um, and I think it's just great, great reminders for all mothers just to be gentle and to be caring towards themselves, towards other mothers. Mm -hmm. I'm so, again, so thankful to have you both on. And it was important to me um, to have you both here today because I, it's so important to me to reframe the conversation that we have around birth and the postpartum experience is because of my own and because of how much I've learned each baby with each baby I've had. You guys have been true gifts to me. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. And um, thank you all for listening. You can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose. And I look forward to joining you guys next time. That was Look Ma No Hands. Bye.